I want to invite you to turn in God's Word to the book of Ruth, uh, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter this morning. It's, it's on page 222. You're in the Blue Pew Bible. So again, Ruth, chapter 2. Uh, it's a short book. covers four chapters. Uh, pretty much, we're, we're looking at one chapter a week. Uh, and I will say up front, this is uh, all the way through a wonderful book that helps to, to, to open up and to show us God's providence. Now, if someone were to come and sit in Sunday school this morning uh, and listen to what we were talking about, then to come and, and sit here in the service and hear what we were talking about, they would think that about the only thing that we talk about is the, the name of our church, which is Providence. <laughs> because we're talking about both. I would say we, only, we rarely talk about Providence. Probably not enough, but it just so happens that uh, the, so happens. the Lord has provided in His providence that uh, we would focus for a time on Providence. And what a wonderful thing to focus on because it helps us in the way that we live our lives. Uh, and with that in mind, let me say, when we live in, in the context of the church, uh, because of that, when we live in the context of the church, our lives should be distinctly different than they would be otherwise. Uh, and there's a main reason uh, for that. And it's not just, it's not because of our relationships with one another, as wonderful as those are. But it is because we are collectively looking to and depending upon a sovereign God, a God who loves us and a God who is involved in each of our lives and in the whole of our community, uh, moment by moment and day by day. Uh, and this chapter that we're looking at, uh, Ruth chapter 2, reminds us of this. Uh, and it helps us with, with living in a right way out of that, out of that knowledge of God's providential working in our lives moment by moment. Uh, and it does that by way of narrative, does that by way of story. Uh, and so we're in that story uh, at the point at which Naomi... Uh, if you've read this book, if you were here over the past couple of weeks, you'll know Naomi was the matriarch uh, in a family of four that now at this point looks very different, but Naomi has finally returned from the foreign land of Moab. Uh, and as she returns, she, she comes to Bethlehem in Judah and from her perspective, she's coming back with nothing, with absolutely nothing. In fact, at the end of chapter 1, she said, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. And it's true. Her husband and her two sons died while she was in the land of Moab. And all that she has remaining to her uh, is a daughter-in-law that became part of her family in Moab, Ruth, the Moabitess, 
the, the foreigner. That's why we constantly hear that, uh, that qualification. She's from Moab. Uh, yet what, what Naomi is not able to see is that the Lord is a sovereign God and He's working constantly, working good in her life uh, so that in this return to the land, in her putting herself and Ruth in the context of God's people, tremendous changes will now take place. Now, there's, there, there's a hint of that that we get right at the end of chapter 1. I want to read this last verse of chapter 1, and then we'll get into reading chapter 2. It says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem, which, by the way, means house of bread, at the beginning of barley harvest. What a contrast. Uh, she left and she went out. She was full, but there was a famine in the land. Now she's coming back, and she says she's empty. Yeah, we get this hint here, the beginning of barley harvest and among God's people. I'm going to read chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read the whole thing. So a little bit of, uh, of reading here. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she, Naomi, said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, in how you left your mother and your father and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. 
And in the me- and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the, in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked Blessed is the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said also to her, The man is a close relative of ours one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for these, uh, these words this morning. And Lord, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for opening our eyes uh, to be able to see who you are and how you work. And to, to have confidence in that working, not only here in your word and in others' lives, but in our own lives as well. And so we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to have understanding here of the things that we have read and the things that we are opening up. Help us to see and to take it and to apply it to ourselves. Uh, And therefore, Father, we pray that we would truly be able to see you in a right way. Uh, and live, therefore, differently as you would have us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, if you, if you watch an NFL game today on TV, uh, you get a tremendous amount of insight into everything that's going on in that game. If you, if you think about how they do it today. You go back 10 or 15 years, uh, much of this wasn't there, but you get the overhead view from the blimp that can, that can show you the stadium itself and the surrounding area, but as they look in, it shows you the, the players on the field, exactly where they are and all their movements uh, during a play. And then you got cameras that are on wires zooming uh, in and out, and so you, you get a view into the action, wherever the action is taking place. 
And you got other angles from all around the field that give you further insight into everything in between that's taking place. Now, down on the field, or let's say for the defense, it's different. They may get confused uh, when the wide receivers run a certain pattern or when there's a quarterback sneak or different things happen. Uh, now, when you're sitting there on your couch and watching, you don't get confused uh, because you see what's happening. So that, that leads some people to yell at the TV. Uh, can't you see? But from their perspective, the players can't see. All that they can see is this small slice uh, that's in, in front of them. You know, if only the players could have that kind of insight into the midst of each play, of course they would play the game differently. Now what I'm describing here are two different levels or perspectives. There's one game, but two different ways of viewing that game. And the one, everything is seen. And it's, it's known, it's, it's brought out uh, at different points. You can go back in, in time. The other is the ground level view in which all that's seen is that slice that's in front of them. No going back. Uh, the, there's, there's so much there the players can't see. It's all hidden from them. You know, it's these two perspectives that we often get in the Bible. And the beauty of it is that through the words of Scripture, we can see the plan and the purpose that's behind what so often takes place. And we can also see the, the, the true source of power that's behind so much of what takes place. You know, the, uh, the book of, of Proverbs, in a number of places, one of those is in chapter 16, verse 9, uh, it draws this out. It says, the heart of man plans his way. That's the ground level view. The small slice. But, it says, the Lord establishes his steps. That's the, the source of power behind it all. Orchestrating all things. Now you've got people who are living their lives day after day uh, completely blind to what the Lord is really doing and working uh, in their lives. They're unable to see the big picture. And usually, that's us. Uh, we just see our own slice. We see what has happened, what's come into our life at a particular moment in time, but we don't see the bigger picture. We don't see how God is sovereignly working the details of our lives. Now, of course, that's where faith comes in, doesn't it? Uh, faith, it's living life in light of the gospel that we know to be true. In other words, living life in line with and according to God's will without being able to see the details. Uh, God's, God's working, His plan, His purposes, His movement in our lives. Now, there is mystery there. Therefore, of course, there's mystery there. Yet, we should live our lives as if we could see it all. Now, not, I'm not talking about needing to see as if we could see all that actually happens and, and all the purpose behind it, but knowing that there is a purpose behind all things and knowing that it's God 
who is doing that work behind it all. Now, we get a, a wonderful depiction of this in uh, the second chapter of Ruth, and really in the whole book of Ruth, uh, as we're given both of these perspectives. And I want you to notice something that one commentator brought out that I hadn't realized before, and that is that although the narrator here can see everything uh, much more clearly than the characters, everything that God is doing, uh, yet the narrator here in, in this section only mentions God twice. Yet the characters mention God over 20 times. And what that should tell us is that uh, with these characters, uh, Ruth and Boaz, who we'll talk about in a moment, uh, and uh, later with Naomi, uh, they, they, have, they have something of faith inside of them. They're living their lives as if they know that God is sovereignly working even though they can't see and understand uh, all the things that He is doing. His purposes remain hidden to them. Now this, this should help us uh, because we are prone to forget and to doubt and to only rely upon that which we're able to see uh, so that when something comes into our lives, we respond immediately to that without recognizing what we should, that God is in control of all things. Now, that He is working things for good in our lives. And, and that may be why at times we are so weak, we are so uh, discouraged, we are so ineffective in our lives and in our witness to others. Uh, we need the reminder that we find in this chapter that when you're living in the context of God's people and trusting the Lord, that whether or not you can see and understand God's purposes and His plans and what He's working, uh, that we, we do need to know that He has a purpose in everything that happens, and He is the one who is behind it. And that's what we're able to see with these characters here, and we see it in two particular areas. Uh, number one, we see it in their, their attitudes when they can't see what He's doing, and then secondly, we see it also later in the chapter and throughout much of the rest of the book. We see it in their joy and increasing assurance when they come to an understanding or even a beginning of an understanding of what he is doing. Uh, so those, those two. We see it in their attitudes. And then we also see it in joy and increasing assurance when they are able to see. Uh, so first of all, one thing that we need to do is to to check our attitude uh, in light of God's providence, His hand of providence, uh, when things are hidden from us. And by, by attitude, I mean our, our demeanor uh, or our, our heart, that which people see on the outside that's being, being driven by what's going on on the inside. You know, in, uh, in the vows that we take, when we become a member of the church or we affirm membership, uh, they express an inner conviction in which we recognize, uh, number one, that we are sinners. Uh, and that we are sinners without hope, save God's sovereign mercy. Uh, so we're saying we're convicted of that. But also, uh, we're, we're convicted that we have cast ourselves upon the grace of God in Christ, and that He is our only 
and final refuge. Now you think about it, if this is truly our conviction inside, that even though we might be assailed by doubt at times uh, and by suffering, then there still will be a certain, certain attitude, a godly demeanor uh, in anything that we face uh, in our lives. And that should more and more evidence itself uh, in our hearts and in our lives. We should be, therefore, looking for this and desiring it in all circumstances. You know, the majority of this chapter is about two people. Uh, it's about Ruth and this new individual that we're introduced to here, Boaz, and then at the end we'll talk about, uh, we see Naomi. Uh, but we see in the lives of these two in particular that they are of godly character. Now we're not told exactly where that character came from. We actually know more about it with, with Ruth, uh, out of chapter 1, but certainly with Boaz, we don't know where it came from. And certainly there are, are those that out of God's general grace in this world, they can be an unbeliever, not know the Lord, and yet still exhibit a, a good, a solid character, yet not a godly character. But we get enough insight into the lives of, of Ruth and Boaz. We can tell there's, there's godly character there. Uh, and throughout this story, we get both the, the ground-level perspective of Ruth and of Boaz, uh, and we're also given the what you might call the divine narrator perspective, the big picture. Uh, in the very first verse, we're told that Boaz is a relative of Naomi's. That's very important for us to know, and we'll talk about that as we get to the end of the chapter. Uh, that's an important factor in order to, to see what God is doing here, yet Ruth doesn't know that. <laughs> We're given insight into that, but as she goes out uh, and, and, and talks to Naomi and says, let me go out into the field to glean, she doesn't know uh, anything about this. Her motive is one. It is to find food for her mother-in-law and for herself. Now, clearly... Naomi at this point has shared with Ruth uh, the way that the Lord had instructed His people in the land to care for one another, that the owners of, of fields and vineyards should, as they bring in the crop, as they reap, they should leave leftovers. Uh, they should leave in the field that which will provide food for the needy, uh, for those who are without, for orphans, for widows, so that they might have food to eat. And so Ruth sets out uh, to glean in this way. And you can imagine what you might expect to see, uh, that there would be those in, in this type of situation who would take advantage of these people because they might be out in a field that's far away from others uh, with no protection, especially young women. Yet look at what happens when Ruth sets out. Uh, she found herself uh, in a, a field to glean and to gather barley. Look at verse 3. Uh, it says, So she set out and went and gleaned the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to, to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. In other words, a relative. Now, many of you may smile when you hear those words that she, she happened upon this field. Because if you've studied this book before, 
You know, this, this entire book is about God's sovereign working. And, and, and the whole uh, bent of the book is that there is nothing that just happens. Yet here, it just happens. Well, this is from Ruth's perspective. Uh, as she is coming in this field, she doesn't know anything further, and so she just happened. Uh, you know, the same thing occurs with us, doesn't it? Uh, the way that we live our lives is exactly the same. I just happened to knock over a bucket of paint and spill it all over. I just happened to receive that bill in the mail, which requires me to pay a lot of money, or I just happened to meet this person on and on. Uh, if only you could see the bigger perspective, right? You could see what God is doing in those details in your life. It would change everything. But you can't. And Ruth couldn't. Yet she could live her life as if, as if nothing is happenstance. And as if God is involved in everything. That's what we see in the interactions that occur between uh, Ruth and Boaz. Uh, first of all, Boaz happens to arrive at the, the field from Bethlehem about that time. And, and look at his demeanor as he comes to the field. Uh, this is in verse 4. He said to his, his workers, his reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Now this, is, this is Boaz. This is his daily interaction. We can tell right away that he has a concern for the Lord. And he surrounds himself by workers who have a concern for the Lord as well. And then after he inquires about Ruth and finds out about her, uh, he realizes that she is vulnerable. And so he provides her with protection uh, as she goes about uh, in the field. Uh, and she's around her, his workers. And she, uh, he, he tells her, remain with my young women. And then he had told his young men not to touch Ruth. And so he's, he's got a hand of protection upon her immediately. But he not only protects her, he also provides for her. Look down in verse 9. Um, he says, And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then later, further down in verse 14, he, he instructs her to sit with the reapers come and, and eat some of the bread and dip your morsel uh, in the wine. Uh, he is providing for her. Uh, and then just after that, he instructs his workers to go above and beyond what the law requires and to pull out extra bundles of, of barley and to leave it for her to glean and, and to allow her to, uh, to glean among the crop itself so that she and Naomi would have plenty of food uh, to live on. You know, with Boaz, behind everything that he's doing, uh, we see this, this heart, this disposition that seems to have been shaped. I, he couldn't see everything the Lord was working in his life. He couldn't see what we're going to see later on that the Lord has planned. Yet he, he responds naturally out of what the Lord has done in his own heart. He responds to the people, to the situations, uh, with a fruitfulness that has been evidently produced by the Lord. Uh, and Ruth, 
just happened to find herself in his field, under his protection, with his provision. Yet we can see both perspectives here, can't we? We see something very similar with Ruth to what we saw with Boaz, although if you think about it, there, there couldn't be a greater difference between their social status and position. Yet, notice, uh, notice Ruth's response to, uh, to Boaz and to his kindness. Verse 10, Then she, Ruth, fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? It's kind of, if you're familiar with 1 Samuel, reminds you of Abigail, right? The, the wife of Nabal, who fell down before David with the same de- demeanor. Uh, this is true humility. And it's always at the heart of godly character, a knowledge and understanding that we are, in a sense, we are foreigners. We are those who are without. We are sinners. And we are undeserving. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. We are undeserving. Uh, and therefore, there's, there's nothing we're upholding as far as our rights. Uh, as we come, we come with empty hands. And that's what we see with Ruth. But that's not all we see of her character. You know, Boaz has evidently been told about Ruth already. Uh, told about what she's done, told about the things that we saw last week out of chapter 1, that she has left everything and bound herself to Naomi and to her God and to go where she goes. Uh, And so uh, Boaz, recognizing this character within her, look down at verse 12, he says, The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You know, he's commending her for her her love and her selflessness toward Naomi. It's a beautiful picture. But notice that he also recognizes what's at the heart of it, what she's really done. And that is that she's cast herself upon the Lord as her one source of protection. And isn't it interesting that it's Boaz now that is becoming her protection. And as we go, go forward in the book, uh, he will become more and more uh, that provision of refuge that the Lord provides. And you know what, we're, what we see with both Ruth and with Boaz is this heart and attitude that is responsive to the Lord. Uh, they are given over to the Lord. And what we're going to see as we continue on is that God is and He will use this uh, in His providence in order to accomplish His wonderful purposes. Yet at their level, they can't see that. They can't see the things that we already know and that we're going to see in the next couple of chapters. Yet they don't need to understand all of that. What do they need to do? They need to trust Him and to live and to respond out of godly character, knowing that this is the God who is over all things and who is working all things together for good for those who know Him and are called according to His purpose, that He is the one who is shaping them and producing this character within them. And again, it's a beautiful picture. 
You know, uh, Sinclair Ferguson tells a story that I think helps with this. Uh, he, he tells about uh, a U.S. Army officer who was walking down a street in, in a city at nighttime, and there was uh, a lot of hubbub going around, a lot of people there. Uh, but he noticed a man who was walking the other direction toward him. And, and as he set his eyes upon him, he couldn't take his eyes off of him. There was such a presence about this man that other people he saw were turning their heads and looking at him. And then after the man went past him, uh, the officer turned around and looked back at the man. And to his surprise, the man had turned around and he was looking at him too. And in fact, he began to walk toward him. Uh, and then the officer, or the man walked up to the officer and put his finger in his chest and said, What is the chief end of man? And the officer, who was bewildered, said, The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And the man said, I knew that you were a shorter catechism boy. Uh, and, and, and the man said, or the officer said, as I looked at you, I knew the same about you. Uh, now, the, the, the moral of the story isn't that we're able to walk down the street and just see godly character in another person at all times. And there may be something there that's, uh, that's given off. But ultimately, it is that godly character does show through. It will show through. And it will be a part of our lives as we follow the Lord and as we allow Him to do that working and that shaping within us uh, so that as we live amongst God's people, we will be much like Boaz and Ruth, interacting with one another, caring for one another with a heart of humility. And all of this will show itself. And so even though we live our lives on the ground level, and we often can't see what God is, is doing, what His purpose is behind everything, yet we need to know that He is at work in everything that happens, that He is the one who is behind it. And we must expect and desire that as we live our lives with that knowledge, that He will do that work of shaping us and producing within us a godly character. Now we know that there is much that stands against that. There is Satan, there is the world, uh, there is self, our own hearts, our sin. But that's what sanctification is all about, isn't it? So if you are His and He is yours, then He is at work developing that godly humility, that godly uh, joy, peace, self-control, love, all of the fruit that flows out of a heart that's given over to the Lord. And so we are to live in that way. Secondly, we don't only check our attitude when we can't see all that the Lord is doing, but we need to look for joy and an increasing assurance when we are able to recognize some of the things that God is doing. He gives us that Glimpse, and he does from time to time. Uh, now, within this story, we get uh, just we get the, the beginnings of this uh, near the end of, of chapter two, uh, and so you can look down, beginning at verse seventeen. Um, we're going to see this interaction between Ruth and Naomi, 
And we see that Ruth has gathered up all that she had taken in, all of the barley from uh, the day, and she's beaded out. It's about an ephah of barley, which was about 30 pounds. Uh, And so think about that for a moment. Imagine Ruth stumbling home. We don't know the distance. uh, But with about a 30-pound sack, uh, enough food for two weeks for the two of them. And then as she, she comes in and, and comes to Naomi, not only does she have the 30-pound sack, but she also has the remainder of her, her dinner from before, which was a very good dinner. It's kind of like she took a, a, a doggy bag with her. Uh, and Naomi's response was one of shock and surprise. Uh, and she says in verse 19, Where did you glean today? Where, where have you been? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. Notice at this point that Naomi doesn't know all that we know. Uh, She's at the ground level. She doesn't know who has done all these things. But when when Ruth shares with Naomi the name of the man who has provided this blessing, there's something that clicks inside of Naomi. She began to realize something that was really happening, something that has great significance to it, and uh, begins to realize the Lord is doing something here. And and, uh, we get that sense as we read her words. Look at verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, The man, in other words, Boaz, is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. I remember Naomi when she came into the land. Naomi was, was bitter. Now she saw the hand of the Lord upon her. And she knew that this was the Lord that was working. Uh, but she was bitter about it. And, and she believed that it was a hand that was tearing down. She couldn't see God's purpose in her life. Yet if, uh, well, here, she begins, she begins that process of, uh, of recognizing the, the mysterious working of the Lord. Uh, she gets a glimpse of His plan, her, His purpose in her life. I will say, if, we, if you know the book of Ruth, then you'll realize at this point, she doesn't know even a fraction of all that the Lord is about and all that He will do. But she begins to get just that glimpse and her response is one of joy. May he be blessed of the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. The Lord is providing for his people. Uh, he, is, he is helping us. Now, you've got to understand that behind Naomi's statement uh, is another law that was within Israel. I'm just going to mention it briefly. We're going to cover it a lot more in chapter 3. Uh, but it says that it is the responsibility, this is one of the things it says, uh, that it is the responsibility of the closest relative to a widow to care for her. Uh, And so she uses that word. She says, he is one of our redeemers. Now to redeem in this sense means to take in to care for, to become a husband to her in the same way 
that her husband had been there before. What, is, what does the word redeem mean? It, it means to pay an appropriate price, to set free. It was a term that's used in slave trade. Uh, but in this sense, it was to completely set free from a, a lack, from an inability, from poverty, and from the shame and everything else that went along with being a widow. And so, in just those couple of words that were shared by Ruth, which included the name of Boaz, Naomi begins to see some sliver of hope there. She begins to see something of what the Lord is doing. Now, she's been blind to the Lord working anything good in her life. She's known nothing but loss. But now, all of a sudden, she sees that God's hand is amongst His people. And not only for the purpose of tearing down, or not for the purpose but for the purpose of building up. And we see in Naomi, it creates this expression of great joy. Uh, not only that, but after this, in, in chapter 3, chapter 4, we'll see more and more that she begins to pull herself together. And she begins to take steps uh, in her life uh, to, to, to work under the Lord's providence to carry out these things. And we see a greater confidence in her that this is the God who cares for her people. A greater assurance that she belongs to Him and that He is hers. And so as we begin in our own lives to glimpse something of God's plan, something of what He is doing, a couple of things should happen. And you may be able to look back in your life and, and, and see this that there is a, a great sense of joy uh, as you recognize well, all along the Lord has been doing this. He's been forming me in this way. He's been orchestrating things in this way uh, that He might carry out His good plans for me. Uh, and in the midst of all of that, at the heart of all of that, we've got this word, Redeemer. Uh, and that to us has a particular meaning, something that, that Ruth and Naomi and Boaz didn't know the fullness of, yet we are able to know the fullness of, that in God's providence, that is the work that He carries out in the lives of those who belong to Him. He has provided a Redeemer, one who has stepped in and has set free, has paid the price and bought us, for that price, that we might be free and that we might know Him and follow Him and, and be a part of this people. You know, in Titus uh, 2.14, uh, Paul says, The Lord Jesus, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, who are zealous for good works. A, a, a people who know their own heart and who know what they need uh, and whom God has provided for. Uh, Romans 8 verses 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and of death. He's provided in His providence a redemption. And so that's something that we can know at all times, even as we live our lives today, not always understanding what God is doing in our lives. And so what He calls us to do is to live day after day, 
out of the godly character that He is forming within us, knowing uh, that He is the God of providence. He is the God who is working in our lives. And in those times when we're able to, to see His hand at work, uh, we will respond with a great joy uh, and with a, a sense of assurance more and more as we see it here and we see it there and we see it again uh, as we come to, to know that He is our God and we are His people. And what a wonderful... That, that really is the message of the Bible all the way through. I am your God and you are my people. And he provides for us to know exactly that. Let me say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning as we uh, open up your word and, and recognize all the way through uh, that you are the God who is working in the lives of your people, uh, working good for us. Uh, we thank you that we can see this in Scripture. We thank you that we can, we can know it by your word. We can see it in our own lives and we can see the working of Christ uh, in uh, our lives and the lives of those that belong to you. We pray, Lord, for your help uh, that when we are weak, when we doubt, uh, Lord, remind us by your word and uh, spirit working within us, by your people that we are surrounded by, remind us of who you are and of your love for us and your care uh, and your design for our lives. And help us, therefore, to live out of that. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.